Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. I need 90 minutes. If you can give it to me, I will give you the world, and our broadcast partners all over the world will respond to questions I ask them about current events that are unfolding. This is information that if you are a student of Bible prophecy, you need to have so you can understand how current events in light of biblical prophecy may well be setting the stage for the end-time scenario that is found in God's Word. We have a number of broadcast partners. Ken Timmerman, he's in southern France, told you we'd go around the world. He'll give us some geopolitical information in a moment. Uh, David Dolan's going to give us a Middle East news update. And by the way, there was a red heifer that was born in Israel this week. Winky Madad has the top of that story when I have a conversation with him momentarily. John Rood will cover the European Union for us. Steve Herzig, he's the national director of Friends of Israel. And we're going to be talking about Rosh Hashanah and the Feast of Trumpets, the new year, 5779, as far as the Jewish people are concerned. And David James and I will have a conversation using Israel, Jerusalem, the Jewish people, as an apologetic. Now, we're not apologizing for them. In fact, I'll give you a definition of apologetics, and you'll see how that backdrop of the Jews, Jerusalem, and Israel, and the Jews back in the land are key to giving absolute authority to the Word of God. So keep the dial set right where it is, and we're going to get underway right now with Ken Timmerman. Ken, an unbelievable trilateral meeting going on in Tehran, Iran, on Friday. You had President Putin of Russia, President Erdogan of Turkey, and President Rouhani of Iran. They got together to decide the fate of the Syrians, and the United States was not involved. Neither were any of the peoples that needed to really be on top of this whole story. What do you think about this meeting? Are they just one-sided, trying to project their own plan for the Middle East, or what was going on? Well, Jimmy, this is one of the reasons that you have this show and our listeners tune in every week to hear news like this, which doesn't get a lot of coverage in the national media in the United States or even where I am right now in France. It gets glossed over completely. This is a momentous meeting in Tehran, where Putin is showing up with Erdogan from Turkey and the Iranian leadership as well to talk about Syria, to talk about next steps in Syria. And as you say, the United States obviously was not involved because this is the axis of evil getting together in Tehran. Interestingly, Putin has taken a position which is antagonizing the Turks on Syria. The Turks continue to support some of the jihadi factions who have positions in Idlib province in Syria. This borders Turkey, but kind of in central Syria, if you wish, bordering Turkey. There's Kurds in the north and and Sunnis in the south. And the Turks want to put Idlib province off limits to Russian airstrikes and Syrian government attacks. And uh, the Russians said, no, 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 we've got to uh, root out the terrorists. The Iranians, by the way, agreed with them, root out the jihadi terrorists in Idlib province to crush ISIS once and for all. So in my book, Erdogan once again revealed his spots, if you wish. He showed that he is a Sunni terrorist supporting 
president. He is a jihadi president in Turkey. He's not a NATO ally. And yet, despite all of that, despite not being a NATO ally, he still has not been embraced by Russia, and the Russians are not going to do what he wishes. So Putin is playing his own game. Erdogan is supporting the terrorists, and the Iranians are supporting their own version of the terrorists. It's a fascinating picture of the the masters of the axis of evil in Tehran on Friday. It certainly was, and indeed we want to keep on top of the story because, as you say, nobody else is reporting this, and this is key. We're watching domestic activities here in the United States too much with not a focus on what really matters in this world. And you who are a man of the world, i.e. you're in southern France even as we speak, you are on top of what's really happening. You know, I understand there's about 30,000 terrorists there in a location, Idlib, with I think maybe 3 million people there, uh, Syrians, and about 1 million of those are children United Nations saying it could be a massacre if indeed they go in and try to wipe them out and just going after these terrorists and not caring about anybody else. You're absolutely right about that, and the U.S. State Department has warned about that as well. They have stated publicly this week that they have detected signs that the Syrian government is preparing chemical weapons to be used uh, in Idlib province against civilians, because that's what the Syrians do. The Syrians use chemical weapons against civilians to terrorize the population. That's why they are weapons of terror, and to separate the civilian population from the ISIS terrorists who have embedded themselves with them. So, yes, this could be a battle with very high civilian casualties. The Russians do not engage in precision bombing the way the United States does and our allies do or Israel does, and they really don't care about collateral damage. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The Russians released figures of their bombing campaign in Syria, and they've killed tens of thousands of civilians, and they've acknowledged it. Yeah, they certainly have. Uh, They're not ashamed of it, it seems. Meanwhile, Iran is deepening military grip on Syria, despite some 200 Israeli airstrikes. I mean, they're right in your face. They don't care what you're going to do to try to stop them. Well, it's an interesting development, and the book is not written on this one yet, Jimmy. The, Iran and Israel are in a face-off in Syria. The Israelis, they put out figures on their airstrikes against Iranian targets. As you said, 200 airstrikes, 80 tons of munitions over the past four or five years against Iranian targets in Syria. And yet the Iranians seem to continue to reinforce their positions. They're changing tactics somewhat. We see them now embedding with the Syrian army. So if Israel is going to strike the Iranians, they have to hit Syrian military positions as well. The Iranians are setting up camp right outside the wire of Russian bases. So there, too, is a potential red line for the Israelis in their attacks. But I think this is a serious confrontation. The Iranians are trying to extend their confrontation line with Israel into Syria and Lebanon, and Israel is doing its best to push them back, and the battle's not over. Well, in light of that, there seems to be some confusion. Hope you can clear it up as to what Iran's doing in Iraq. They've moved in. 
Uh, This war-torn country trying to rebuild. There's a major political conflict going on. They're saying that Iran has moved in, set up missile firing locations in Iraq, can fire over Syria into Israel. And uh, the defense minister in Israel, Avigdor Lieberman, says our next battlefield may be Iraq. What do we know? Right. Well, Jimmy, that's another reason why people tune into the show is to hear the discussion of this particular situation. You and I have been talking about this the past couple of weeks as it's been developing. Uh, Again, it hasn't been in the U.S. media until this week when Secretary of State Mike Pompeo commented that if the reports that Iran was moving longer-range missiles into Iraq handing them off to their militia groups, their pro-Iranian militia groups in Iraq, that would be a violation of U.N. Security Council resolutions and would be something that the U.S. would take very seriously. What's going on here is the Iranian regime, and in particular the Quds Force, which is the expeditionary overseas fighting arm of the Revolutionary Guards, is taking over Iraq piece by piece. You know, they swept across the Nineveh Plain, which are the Christian areas in the north that I wrote about in my recent book, ISIS Begins. They went into Mosul, and from Mosul they went to the Syrian border, uh, where they are today. So you have Iranian-backed militia in northern Iraq along the Syrian border, opening that land bridge. And now the Iranians are reinforcing those positions in Iraq and handing the so-called Iraqi militias these long-range missiles, which are capable of reaching not just Israel, but also Saudi Arabia. And they're doing that on the territory of the country that the United States of America liberated in 2003 at the sacrifice of over 4,400 brave American soldiers who gave their lives for the freedom of Iraqis, and now that country is being handed over to Iran. I think this is the beginning of a new battle. It's not the end. It's the beginning of a new battle. And I think you're going to potentially see U.S.-Iranian confrontation on the ground in Iraq. I think we mentioned this last week, but update us if you will. Iran smuggling weapons, arms, chemical weapons, in fact, to Hezbollah on civilian aircraft. I mean, this is a sneaky way to do it, but it looks like they're doing everything they can to arm those who want to destroy Israel. Right, and they've done this in the past with Iran Air, the flagship carrier. Now they're using a small airline that was shut down in 2013. They, they restarted last year, run by the Revolutionary Guards. They pretend that they're civilian flights from Tehran to Damascus, but then they take these strange routes and land at uh, weird airports uh, in Syria close to the, the uh, Lebanese border where they basically just pass off weapons to Hezbollah. They're not fooling anyone. The U.S. is following this. The U.S. government is commenting on this in public, but the Iranians are doing everything they possibly can to violate the sanctions, to smuggle weapons on these civilian aircraft. I mean, this is like, this is as as egregious as the Palestinians using Red Crescent ambulances, which Mm -hmm. they do all the time to smuggle weapons Mm -hmm. to guerrilla fighters in Gaza. Well, that's the report, and that's why it's so key to have Ken Timmerman. He can travel, he can run, but he can't hide. We'll find him wherever he is. 
Keep helping us out. We need your help and the insight that you do, in fact, give to us. Thank you so much. We'll talk again next week. Great to talk to you, Jimmy. And so far, the bad guys don't find me. It's only you who finds me. God bless. (laughs) Well, praise the Lord for that. Hey, we're going to take a break right now. When we come back, David Dolan, the Middle East News Update. A bit later on, Winky Madad is going to tell us there was a red heifer that was born in Israel. That's significant as we look at the preparations for the next Jewish temple in Jerusalem. These reports all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. How do you like your news? You know, Jimmy, folks are listening to the news every single day, but sometimes they're getting that liberal bent, and we want them to have a different look at the news. Jay, that's correct. I have listened to ABC, CBS, and NBC when I returned from Jerusalem back to the United States, having just witnessed a news event in the Middle East, and hear the commentators over here speaking something almost different. That's why I write the Until Newsletter, and it takes the leading news stories of the month. I give the absolute truth behind all the details in those headlines, and then we look at it from a prophetic perspective. I want to give you the insight from God's Word as to how the political is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. And Jay's going to give you the phone number how you can get your free copy of Until the Prophecy Newsletter. Just give us a call at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We're here at Broadcast Central, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Right after the broadcast, we head over to Columbia, South Carolina. I'll be at the Grace Baptist Church. We're going to have a full-fledged prophecy conference Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And we're going to have a great time. On Monday, we're going to be looking at the Jewish feast, in particular the fall feast, trumpets, Yom Kippur, and tabernacles, in light of the fact that Monday will be Rosh Hashanah, the new year, or Feast of Trumpets. Love to have you come if you're in the Columbia, South Carolina area. Come over and study the prophetic word of God with us at Grace Baptist Church. Well, speaking of the Jewish holy days, I want to introduce 
David Dolan, the man who has been covering the Middle East, I say introduce. Man, he's been around so long, just about as long as Job has in the area. No, not quite, David. But uh, you have great experience as a journalist in that region of the world. You've been our broadcast partner for I don't know how many years, 25 years or whatever. And uh, I, you've been there for many of the Rosh Hashanahs, the New Year's, and the Feast of Trumpets, and in fact, all the fall Jewish feast. Now, there was a headline in the Jerusalem Post, and since I'll have other broadcast partners discussing this same issue, wanted to take this angle with you. The headline said that it's the Jewish holy days, but the Jews will not be allowed to go on to the Temple Mount to celebrate these holy days. And in addition to that, the security is going to be very high at this time. Talk to us about those two aspects of the Jewish holy days. Well, Jimmy, as you well know, this is a biblical holiday, holy day, you said, and it is a holy day as opposed to uh, national holidays that Israel has and other sorts of holidays. And uh, on all of the holy holidays, uh, religious Jews, Orthodox Jews, and even some non, want to go to Jerusalem, as the Bible says to do, the pilgrimage city, and pray there. Uh, to the God of Israel for their country, and of course Rosh Hashanah, right before Yom Kippur, the day of repentance and renewal. So this Yom Kippur is always that, but Rosh Hashanah is always uh, also a time of reflection and beginning of that period, and then of course the Feast of Tabernacles after that. So these are the days they want to be praying in Jerusalem. Well, where in Jerusalem would they love to pray? On the Temple Mount, not next to it not at its base, the Western Wall, which is what they're limited to today, mainly by Israeli government rules, but they're only ruling that because the Muslims riot every time any uh, Jew tries to pray up there, go up there, in fact, Christians too. Uh, it started trouble when they've been praying up there. So they're at the base, but they'd like to be at the top, but security will be extremely tight, as it always is, Jimmy, for these holidays and tensions being so high in the region right now. This is a very special period, but a very tense period in terms of security. But the Israelis will be on full alert as usual. As usual. And speaking of Iran, uh, they have now moved uh, their missiles and launch pads into Iraq. You were talking about the trouble there in the Middle East. Avigdor Lieberman, who was the defense minister for the state of Israel, said that Iraq may well be the new battleground for the Israeli defense force because there are thoughts that from Iraq, Iran could fire a missile hitting targets in Israel. What do we know about that? Well, we talked a bit about it last week. There has already been reputed Israeli-American airstrike on these missile sites in Iraq. The Iranians admitted over a week ago that they have been placing these missiles in western Iraq, the Anbar province, which is in easy range of, of Israel. The Israelis have known about this for some time. Now, Prime Minister Netanyahu commented indirectly on it this week. He said that we will defend ourselves, we'll defend our borders against any threat, whether they are near or further away and have not yet reached us within, uh, you know, the framework of looking at what might be coming from the entire area, he said. So he was alluding, apparently, to this. He said they're planning attacks upon us. We will 
preempt that. So he's promising that. And, Jimmy, it comes as we have the Israeli army intelligence chief uh, admit this week that Israel has been hitting Iranian targets in Syria for the last 18 months. In fact, over 200 strikes, he said. Over 800 missiles and mortar shells have been involved. And this comes as an American uh, magazine foreign policy reports that Israel has been secretly funding 12 anti-Assad militias in the south of Syria near the Golan Heights for the last five years. The report said not because they're trying to overthrow Assad, Israel's not concerned about that either way, but because they wanted to prevent Iranian pro-Assad forces and Hezbollah forces from coming in the area, so they were strengthening these these anti-Assad forces. Probably that's a true report, but Israel hasn't commented. But the battle continues. There are more Israeli strikes near Hama in the north of Israel and near the port of Tartus, where the Russians are this week. The tensions continue very, very high there, and of course Israel warning that this pending attack upon the Idlib province, I shouldn't say pending, it's already begun, but the full-scale attack that's being anticipated could lead to a major war in the region. The U.S. warning that. The U.S. ambassador saying this could have dire consequences for the region. This comes as Russia's continuing its flotilla exercises off the Mediterranean coast, and as the U.S. continues to beef up its forces in the region. So a very explosive, intense situation. But as far as Israel's concerned, they're aware of what's going on. They know where these Iranian bases are. They know where these missiles are being moved. They're most concerned, really, Jimmy, at the moment with Hezbollah's withdrawal from Syria. Hezbollah forces have been pulling out of Syria for the past few months. Now, why would that concern Israel? Well, because they're moving instead to the southern border with Israel. And there's a lot of activity going on there the past few weeks. And the Israelis are fearing that they're planning to seize an Israeli town or village along the border as an act of war that would set off a full-scale war. Uh, An Israeli general commented on that this week. He said, look, if they do that, this time we won't just respond to Hezbollah, but to the Lebanese government and all Lebanese army forces, which effectively are now under control of Iran and Hezbollah, basically, Jimmy. And so it would be a much wider war, a lot of tension up there, a lot going on. Well, President Donald Trump made a statement in his New Year's greeting to the Jewish people that he wanted this new year, 5779, to be a year of peace. According to your report, that doesn't sound very possible, but uh, he's still going to try to move ahead with bringing that resolution to the conflicts in the Middle East. I don't think it's going to work. Do you? Well, Jimmy, I have been saying for a number of months on your program, and I still think it's true that an agreement has been reached between Netanyahu and Trump to go to war against Iran. That's what an increasing number of analysts in the Middle East believe. There's increasing evidence, the preparations for that. In fact, I read a report just today that said furious Israeli military preparations are taking place in the north of the country. There was a week-long exercise, quote-unquote, this week, and that's an excuse to bring more and more forces up there. The region is just on a knife edge, and I think that is because there has been a decision taken when the nuclear accord was disbanded by President Trump, at least the U.S. participation in it, 
that war would be inevitable now. And that's, I think, what Iran has concluded, too. That's why they did this pact last week with Syria, reinforcing their presence in Syria. Russia seems to be looking the other way. Turkey's urging Russia and uh, Syria to go light in Idlib, to not go in there like Nikki Haley said. There's three million uh, civilians in there that, that could be killed, many of them. It'd be a horrible catastrophe if they... Uh, continue this offensive in such a high regard, and Turkey's worried about that. So on the north of Syria, in the south of Syria, on the east, in Iraq, in the northern Israel area, and of course along the Gaza Strip, where there were new uh, incendiary balloons fired into, shot into Israel on Friday, Jimmy, and the Israelis this time responded with their air force. They went and struck uh, the squad that was launching these fiery balloons that caused forest fires and field fires and et cetera in Israel. And that's an escalation of the situation down in the south as well. So just a lot going on. But Israel watching and waiting and ready. But again, I think a decision has been made to go to war with Iran. And it's just a question of when and how that's going to take place. And that's because Iran has dug itself in, and despite all these Israeli airstrikes and attempts to get them out of Syria, it hasn't worked. And as Netanyahu has said, they simply will not sit still for a strong Iranian presence in Syria. And Trump apparently knows that, too, understands that Iran is still there at its forces, and a likely regional war is uh, on the horizon. There's the evidence that we need. David Dolan with his Middle East News update every single week here on Prophecy Today. David is on top of everything. We'll continue to be that way. We'll continue to cover all these stories that he has brought to our attention. David, thank you so very much for a very important report. Appreciate it. We'll talk again next week. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to have to take a break right now. And when we come back, Winky Madad is standing by. Do you know there's a red heifer that's been born in Israel? And, of course, Russia Shana is taking place. And we'll talk about the possibility for peace through confederation. That's all ahead with Winky Madad right here on Prophecy Today. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We move into the second half hour of three half-hour segments that I need to have with you each and every Saturday as we go around the world to talk with our broadcast partners. We've been into southern France with Ken Timmerman. Now we go to the central part of the state of Israel to a place called Shiloh, 
and that is a location 3,500 years ago where the tabernacle stood. The Ark of the Covenant was in the tabernacle. It was the headquarters for this new people that had come into the land promised to them by God through Abraham, uh, the patriarch. And indeed, they did capture the land or were in the process of doing that. Shiloh, a location where we find our good friend, longtime broadcast partner, and that's Winky Madad, of course, the former mayor of Shiloh, but now a man at large knowing just about anything on everything. And I'm serious about that. I can call Winky about any issue. He can come back and give me some insight. Winky, it's great to have you along. I do want to spend a moment about Rosh Hashanah and then talk about the confederation aspect of the peace process. We'll do that, see if you can make it simple for us. But first, the Institute, the Temple Institute, announced earlier this week, I think it was on last Tuesday, that there was a red heifer at one of the ranches that they operate and endeavoring to try to produce a red heifer in line with what is needed for the rebuilding of the next temple, that one had been born. I'm not sure what you might know about it, but it is an essential of rebuilding that next temple on the Temple Mount, is it not? Well, according to the Bible, what the Bible defines as impurity, uh, which has several levels, starting from the most severe, uh, which is contact with the dead, uh, and then goes down the list as a, a scale, basically, I think we would call it in, in modern terms. To be engaged in the temple service and to work at the temple, uh, one needs to be ritually pure. And as you probably saw uh, at the southern end of the temple mount in the archaeological digs that have been opened uh, almost immediately after the 67 war and then have been expanded, you can see maybe about 20 ritual baths that pilgrims could enter uh, on the way up into the Temple Mount. In those days, the Second Temple days, they kept themselves very strictly uh, away from anything that would be impure. Today, of course, the situation is completely different, and many rabbinical authorities say without the ash of the burnt red heifer, according to the special ceremony that's described, if I'm not mistaken, of Leviticus, we remain in our impure state, which, unfortunately, uh, for many people, this allows them from even today going on the Temple Mount and surely would interfere with anything to do with the temple sacrificial service. Well, and also in Numbers 19, the ordinance of the red heifer uh, given to those Jews who were traveling, wandering in the wilderness, put in place for all of this ritual to take place. Now, and Winky, I can remember years ago when they thought they had a red heifer, it disqualified itself by having more than two hairs on the body of the red heifer other than red, and we don't know at this point, as I understand it from the Temple Institute, this is a qualified red heifer. Uh, but uh, you were saying before we went on the air during the break, let's uh, just pray that this truly red heifer stays alive and grows no other discoloring hairs of any type that would disqualify it and so that you can move ahead with the activities of producing the temple on the Temple Mount. I mean, that's our prayer and hope, is it not? 
It is, of course. Let me make it clear that when we say red heifer, we're actually talking about a sort of a brightish brown. I don't know if it's an exact term that perhaps women uh, with lipstick would know what type of red we're talking about or fashion color, but of course it can be disqualified, or if it breaks a leg, it will also disqualify it. And so uh, it's been very difficult to, to engage in the process, starting with the heifer. As with other things, Jimmy, we've discussed the matters of the temple, from building to archaeology to weaving and implements of, of it. You have to start. You have to get involved. And if you have a failure, I think it's the psalmist who says a, a righteous person may fall seven times, but he keeps on getting up. And we have to pursue these things without any sort of expectation that we will fail. But even if we continue going, and one day it'll happen. One day it will happen. That's an absolute. We'll stay on top of the story with Winky Madad. Another aspect of what my conversation was focused on for you today was Rosh Hashanah, the new year, and also the Feast of Trumpets, which are combined on the same day, starting on Sunday at sundown. And then, as I understand it, in the city of Jerusalem, you have two days of Rosh Hashanah and the Feast of Trumpets. Why is that, Winky? Actually, all over the world we have two days. There is no real reason other than that has been a tradition because of the fact that the holiday as thus was proclaimed. The other holidays in which we have two days, the Passover holiday and the festival of tabernacles, is because you live outside the land of Israel, and therefore there was always a time difference, and people wouldn't know exactly when the new moon appeared and when the Sanhedrin would declare that the new months had begun. All I remember from my studies is that actually in the rabbinic literature, the two days are called one long day because the need, I would make up my own explanation, Jimmy, uh, too many people need too much repentance. <laughs> There's not enough time in 24 hours to reflect, recollect, and uh, enter yourself consciously into a process of begging, literally, for forgiveness from God, and promising and, and, and ordering yourself not to commit any of the sins, minor or major, that you had done in the previous year. So I think it's a good idea to have two days and not just limit it to one. Just briefly, describe what you and your family will do on Rosh Hashanah Feast of Trumpets and uh, that special day, Holy Day, or Holy Two Days. Well, Jimmy, first of all, let's go back to something you mentioned before. Uh, give it another two or three sentences. The trumpets that uh, you refer to in the name is actually what we call in Hebrew the shofar, which is a ram's horn that's been hollowed out and fashioned. And as you probably know, because you've probably heard it not once or twice, it's an amazing sound, uh, one of the most nature sounds possible, uh, if properly committed by a person who's expert at it. And it literally can shatter your soul. It transfixes your consciousness, and that's why it is blown on a holiday, because it goes together. You have to shake yourself up, and the ram's horn blast, or the shofar, or the trumpet, as you say, is quite applicable to the, 
the atmosphere of the holiday. We will be praying in my community. We'll probably start around 7.30 and finish around 1.30. There will be a short break for what we call a kiddush, a, a short a blessing over wine and some cakes and stuff like that. Other than, of course, the Yom Kippur, which we'll be fasting all day long. And so it's basically a solemn time. It's, it's not overly solemn, but it does set the mood because some of the prayers are very beautiful. For those who understand, of course, the Hebrew is even more, but even in English, you can get a feel of, of what it means to be a supplicant before God and to ask for his understanding for what you've done in the past year and help you to make a better year for the coming year. By the way, do you have your shofar next to you there? You really want to make me repent for my sin of not knowing how to blow on the shofar? Yes, automatically. So let's hear the sound of the shofar on actually the Feast of Trumpets, and let's hear it all across the world here on our broadcast. Winky, please. Okay, Jimmy. That was great, buddy. Do not many of the Jewish men go up to the Temple Mount area as close as they can get and on this particular day as well blow their shofars? Uh, Jimmy, this year we have a problem. You are not probably going to believe this, but the first day of our Rosh Hashanah New Year coincides with the Islamic New Year. And so on Monday, the Temple Mount will be closed to Jewish visitors. Wow. The second point is that since the temple was destroyed, we do not blow the shofar on the Sabbath. This year it doesn't fall on the Sabbath, uh, so technically we could blow the shofar on the Temple Mount. Even if it wasn't the Islamic New Year, the police, of course, would view that uh, as a violation of the status quo and would not allow us to blow the shofar within the Temple Mount compound. Well, here we are, living among the political world. The prophetic significance of all of this is one day the shofar will sound from the Temple Mount in the city of Jerusalem, which is actually a segue into the last portion of what I wanted to talk with you about. And this peace deal that Donald Trump is trying to put together his son-in-law traveling among all the leaders of the Islamic world, trying to get them to sign on. And the other day, they mentioned to Mahmoud Abbas, president of the Palestinian Authority, what about a confederation with Jordan? Now, just quickly explain what that means, how would it work, and why is everybody not really interested in it? Well, Jimmy, for me, the most important element is to recognize, and I think... I've said this many times on your program as we try to educate those who are listening to us. Jordan is part of historic Palestine. So that if, for example, theoretically, an independent Palestinian Arab state would be uh, fashioned out of any territory or all of the territory called Judea and Samaria or the West Bank, uh, that would be a second Arab state in Palestine. And so it's two against one. The confederation idea is a good idea in principle for two reasons. Number one, it ties in Jordan and forces Jordan and the Palestinian Authority to decide who they are. Are they Jordanians or are they Palestinians? They speak the same language, they have the same culture, 
The second reason is that Israel is very much hesitant to allow the Palestinian Authority to become a state. They can't do it on their own. They proved it, Jimmy. We're, you and I are old enough to remember 93 when Oslo came in. It's 25 years down the road, and they haven't gone anywhere. Right. Internally, I'm speaking. Right. Incitement, terror, human rights violations against their own population. And so uh, a link up with Jordan would be much more easier for Israel to swallow if that could be arranged as an intermediate period and see what happens. But at this point in time, uh, they're not sure. And in fact, it was first mentioned, I do believe, by King Hussein a number of years ago. But the state of Jordan, which has about 73% of its population who are Palestinians, uh, they're not sure they want to go with this. Well, do you think uh, it's going to be able to work into the peace process? And does that process have any chance of actually bringing reconciliation? between the Palestinians and the Jews of Israel. Jimmy, if the Hamas in Gaza and the Fatah or the PLO in Judea and Samaria can't get together, I don't understand how anybody, whether it's President Trump or it's England, France, Germany, uh, can understand how they want uh, the Palestinian Authority to make peace with Israel. People just ignore the realities and as much as you and I deal with biblical and prophets, uh, prophetic aspects of our lives, there is a very real political life out there. We try to educate people about it, and uh, to me it just doesn't make sense uh, that this thing would go along. But if it keeps somebody happy, it's not a bad idea. As I said, as long as the Palestinians do not get an independent state immediately but go through some sort of process, so we can check it, so we can see what has happened differently in the past 25 years. And this is, of course, as I said earlier, about everything else we've discussed today, an ongoing story, and our broadcast partner and good friend, Wiki Madad, will be right here at the broadcast table with me to continue to educate each and every one of us as to the life in the Jewish world and to what is going on in the Jewish nation of Israel. Winky Shonat Tova to you, my dear friend, and may you have an excellent good year. We look forward to another conversation real soon. Jimmy, thank you very much. Shonat Tova, a good and even a better year for the coming year for you, your family, and of course the listeners to your program. We're going to bring now to this broadcast table John Rood. He's the man who covers the European Union. We talk a lot about what's going on in the Middle East, but the European Union is key also to understanding the prophetic scenario that's found in God's Word. We need to have a broadcast partner like John Rood to keep us updated on what's going on. And, John, there has been a lot of talk about Brexit uh, the deadline for this all coming together with some kind of a deal has passed from October to November to, you know, all along the line. You've reported that. It looks like they're welcoming back everybody to deal with Brexit. And what I mean by that, the summer is pretty quiet, but now they're getting down to work again. What do we know? Yes, the House in UK has come back from the summer, and uh, there's actually been a poll saying now that a majority of people uh, would want to stay in and not execute the Brexit. Uh, as well, uh, 
previous poll has even shown that 50% want another referendum. Another referendum, of course, would be, that's the total EU style that they've done with Maastricht Treaty, Nice Treaty, Lisbon Treaty, and the EU has always gotten its way. So looking into this particular situation, the idea of the soft Brexit, which uh, many people are hoping to reject from Theresa May's government, and it's just a cosmetic change in name status and keeping all of the things in place with the European Union. So it appears that the no deal, the majority chance right now is a no deal Brexit, and it appears here that as opposed to a hard break, the no deal could possibly be a way that the European Union keeps its influence it all will depend on the U.K. leaders. You folks eavesdropping on this conversation may think that we're getting into the weeds. In other words, a lot of information we don't necessarily need to have on a prophecy-focused program. Well, that's not true, because how Brexit plays out could talk about how the rest of the European Union will either stay together or come apart. This is all of the prophetic scenario that's found in God's Word. We believe the European Union becomes ultimately the revived Roman Empire. It's all a part of Bible prophecy, Daniel chapter 7. It's there in the Word. It will happen. And until it does happen, we're going to have a man who's in that part of the world watching what's going on. John Rood's his name. John, thank you so much for giving us this update. We appreciate it. We need to have it. Thank you. We'll talk again next week. Thank you. Well, another focus of those who study Bible prophecy, including me and our next broadcast partner, Steve Herzig, would have to be the Jewish people, the lifestyle of the Jewish people, the reality of what has happened over the years, 70 years ago, celebrating the 70th anniversary of the Jewish state of Israel this year, key. Uh, but I wanted to talk with Steve. He is the National Director of Friends of Israel, a very great organization who are working among the Jewish people, endeavoring to introduce them to the true Messiah, Jesus Christ. Steve, of course, you know why I'm calling. It's that time of the year for the Jewish feast days, and we have upcoming tomorrow evening, Sunday evening, we have the beginning of Rosh Hashanah and the Feast of Trumpets. Now, let's take them and separate them. We've already mentioned Rosh Hashanah on the broadcast this day, so I want to get more in-depth, and as you have become a born-again Bible-believing Christian coming out of an Orthodox Jewish background, let me have you explain first what is Rosh Hashanah, and then we'll get to the Feast of Trumpets. Well, Jimmy, thanks for having me, and I love talking about the holidays, the holy days for the Jewish people, and for those who are listening, if they get a chance to turn to Leviticus, that would be the book in their Bible where the pages are still stuck together, and they turn to Leviticus 23, they would find that the Feast of Trumpets is listed there amongst those seven feasts. In fact, we're in the fall feast, seventh month, the month of Tishrei, the first day of that month, Tishrei number one, is when we celebrate the Feast of Trumpets, or Rosh Hashanah, which is the head of the year. And Rosh Hashanah, according to Jewish tradition more than the text itself, 
Jewish tradition believes that on Rosh Hashanah, first of all, it's the new year, and it would be 5,779, and that means that according to Judaism, the earth is less than 6,000 years old. That's the year they believe God created uh, the heavens and the earth and everything in it. So that was 5,779 years ago. And they also believe that it is at this time that we anticipate and pray for a good year, a sweet year. So they'll be eating honey and challah uh, and dipping that challah into the honey with the hopes of a good year because they believe that God is going to judge every person uh, for the coming year. And I know you and I have talked before, Jimmy, on repentance and the need to repent. And, you know, the new year for a Jewish person is that they're anticipating a good year, but they know that uh, God is going to seal up their year future, and so they want to try to make sure that they've confessed their sin on the past and that they do good things right at the end of the year they're in in order to have their good deeds or mitzvot outweigh their bad deeds. Now, Rosh Hashanah, the new year, Russia chief, or the beginning, or the new Shana year, is a special time for the Jewish people, as you've already developed for us, but also the Feast of Trumpets. I have, and I think I mentioned to you before, seen as many as 15,000 Jewish men with their shofars and or their trumpets go up towards and as close as they could get to the Temple Mount to blow in celebration of the new year, indicating to me that which many Jewish scholars say is that that stone under the Gold Dome building, the foundation stone, is the location where God created everything, making, of course, the Temple Mount the Garden of Eden. But they go to celebrate the beginning of a new year, which started 5,000, as you said, 779 years ago. Yeah, it's an amazing thing. And the shofar is a part of Judaism and the Bible in so many ways. We we know that the shofar was used by the Jewish people for a call, whether that's call to military, call to repent, call to worship. Uh, in fact, Jimmy, I have a shofar that I'm taking this weekend as I talk about Rosh Hashanah, and I'll demonstrate blowing it. I don't do it as well as other people, but <laughs> at least to get that shofar. And, if, and even that comes right out of the Bible. When we look at Genesis chapter 22, where Abraham takes his son, his only son Isaac, and a son turns to him on their way to Mount Moriah, Jimmy, as you know. On their way to Mount Moriah, uh, his son said, well, Dad, I've got the fire, and I've got the wood. Where's the sacrifice? And his father said, the Lord himself will provide the sacrifice, my son. And, and that passage is one that's read at Rosh Hashanah. Jewish people read that. They should be familiar with it, and it, it has a powerful lesson that indeed God did provide the lamb, not only in the sense that it was stuck in a bush and Abraham killed it instead of his son, and that's certainly the immediate aspect of it, but you and I look at it prophetically down the road and say, wait a minute, God provided his son, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah of Israel, to come and to pay the penalty for our sins. So while Isaac did not lose his son, but was willing to give him up, God did offer his son and indeed gave him up 
but of course he conquered sin and death and rose from the dead. So it's a, it's a, it's a great parallel and a great uh, insight, I think, into Rosh Hashanah is the shofar. And of course that Mount Moriah, the Temple Mount, where the temples, the first temple, Solomon's Temple, then the second temple, Zerubbabel, slash Herod's temple, and the next temples will be located as well. By the way, I always want to be very practical when we have you on the air with us, Steve. Is that not a great passage of Scripture to have our Christian friends out there in love and kindness approach their Jewish friends and just share that type of information? Certainly one of the easiest things to do is simply to talk to them and wish them, if you're in their proximity, to wish them a happy new year, a healthy, happy new year, and the Lord's blessing upon them, and to tell them how thankful they are for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If they live far away, you send them a card just to let them know that you're thinking of them and that you're praying for them for a great year. You can do these kinds of things by demonstrating that you love them. You know, Jimmy, I found out recently that a friend of mine encountered a, a Jewish person that he met, and this person, they built up a relationship, and the person said, you know, I don't understand it. You're a Gentile, and you care about Jewish people. That's not the norm mm. in the world today mm. when you read uh, newspapers and Internet and all that. And the person said, well, I don't know about it being normal, but all I know is this, that uh, a Jewish man changed my life. His name is Jesus, the Messiah, and I love him, and I know he's Jewish, and I owe a great gratitude to the Jewish people. And uh, that, that's quite a, a message to be able to give if you can sincerely give it. It certainly is a beautiful, wonderful message to give to someone you show love to, and that's key. Bottom line, show love first and then give the message. By the way, Shona Tova, that's how you say have a happy new year in Hebrew, Shona Tova. Try to use that with your Jewish friends. That will open their mind to some extent as well. Now, I know after that, after the first of the Jewish feast in the fall, you have Feast of Trumpets, and then 10 days later, you have Yom Kippur, and after that, the Feast of Tabernacles. I'm going to save those last two. Can you come back and be with me next week, and let's talk about the next two fall Jewish feasts? Jimmy, I would love to. Always love to talk to you. Steve, thank you so much. Shonatava, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. Thanks, Jimmy. Great insight from Steve Herzig, National Director of Friends of Israel here in the United States. We're going to take a break. I'll give you the poll question upcoming in the next half hour. We'll look at what we think is what God's Word is telling us about these current events. But we'll also have an interview with our good buddy David James, and we're going to be talking about Israel, the Jewish people, and Jerusalem, a apologetic to understand and believe God's Word. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome back to Prophecy Today. 
We move into our last half hour. Thus far, you've been helping me accomplish my goal. Give me an hour and a half every time we're on the air, and I'll give you the world with our broadcast partners. So glad that you could join us. Well, right after the broadcast, Judy and I head over to Columbia, South Carolina. We'll be at the Grace Baptist Church with the people there for a real full-fledged prophecy conference, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Love to have you come and join us. It's in West Columbia, South Carolina, where we're going to the Grace Baptist Church. Hey, before you get finished with today's activities, please go to my website, prophecytoday.com. There, if you'll scroll down on the left-hand side, you'll see my poll question. Here it is. Since Jesus Christ fulfilled the first four Jewish feasts, the spring feast, by being crucified on Passover, buried on unleavened bread, resurrected on first fruits, and the Holy Spirit came to earth on the day of Pentecost, could it be true that Jesus will also fulfill the fall feast, come back to the earth on the Feast of Trumpets, entering the temple in Jerusalem on Yom Kippur, and then beginning the kingdom on the Feast of Tabernacles. Please answer it. We'd like to see what your response is. We now bring to these microphones David James. Here at the broadcast table, we're going to have a discussion. And in light of some of our conversation already with our broadcast partners here on today's program, we're going to be talking about the nation of Israel as a foundation for apologetics. Boy, that's a big word. We'll give you the definition of that in a moment. But first, David, I want to take a moment, if we can, here to respond to an email that we received from one of our listeners concerning last week's discussion. Since we encourage our listeners to join in on the discussions that we have, this is key. And this is concerning one of the men that you mentioned as part of President Trump's advisory board. That was James Robinson. Talk to us about this email we received. Well, first of all, I'd like to say that we do appreciate every email that we get, whether it's for or against something that we have said. One of our listeners mentioned that uh, he was concerned that I had lumped James Robeson in with some of the more extreme members of the charismatic movement who are a part of President Trump's uh, advisory board. For example, Paula White and Ken Copeland, who attended the dinner last week that we discussed, and he didn't feel that it was fair to James Robeson that I had personally made that connection. So I, w- I did some more research. I've known about James Robeson for uh, a very long time, back from even when I was a- in seminary in Dallas, because he's based out of Texas. The fact is, back in the early 80s, he was supposedly delivered from demons, and uh, even though he is a member of the Southern Baptist Convention, I think that is still true, although I don't know that for sure. But in my research, I have found that uh, actually he has had very close associations with those people that I mentioned, Ken Copeland and others. And another very disturbing matter is that after his experience back in the 80s, he went from being kind of a fire-breathing Southern Baptist preacher to being very ecumenical and has met with the Pope, is very much in favor of advancing uh, Protestant and Catholic relations, and uh, a lot of this would center around 
some of the things involved with the charismatic movement. I have read some things where he claims that he has not spoken in tongues, although I don't know if that is still true, but he still fully embraces that. So he is still a very troubling figure to be in the presidential advisory board because of some of his views. But, you know, with some of our listeners, we may just have to agree to disagree, and that's fine. Yeah, that is fine, and we thank Wade for sending us that email. This is our response to it, Wade. We wanted to make certain that uh, we were able to interact with you, even though it's not in person, but uh, thank you, David, for that response. As I've already been discussing with some of our broadcast partners today, this week marks the beginning of the Jewish New Year. And uh, which also marks, by the way, the rabbis believing it to be the anniversary of the creation of Genesis in chapter 1. Talk to us about that, and in light of apologetics, we'll get to the definition of that in a moment, but talk to us about creation, Genesis 1, and the Jewish people. That's right. Up until Exodus chapter 12, when God gave the ordinances and the instructions for the Feast of Passover, the world's calendar began in the fall. That would be the month of Tishri, what became the month of Tishri, and uh, it marks the beginning of the ten days of awe leading up to Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement on the tenth day of that month. Now, in Exodus chapter 12, God changed the calendar, and he says in verse 2 of Exodus 12, this month shall be your beginning of months, it shall be the first month of the year to you, and on the tenth of this month every man shall take for himself a lamb. And so that is the institution of the Passover on the 10th day of the new first month, which is exactly six months earlier than the old calendar. So actually there are two Hebrew calendars, and so this is now the seventh month of the new calendar, and on the 10th day uh, this month will be the Day of Atonement. So it's an extreme, it's, it's extremely important. And as you said, the rabbis believe that this also marks the anniversary of the creation. So we see that this has been carried out through thousands of years of history and consistently. So that provides a very good apologetic concerning the veracity, the truth of the Bible. You know, I would like to discuss how the ongoing existence of the nation of Israel provides an important apologetic, as we've mentioned, for the truthfulness of the Word of God in the past, present, and in the future. I think, David, it would be helpful, before we get any further into the discussion, to define the term apologetic for our listeners. Sure. Well, it sounds like apology, but we're not making an apology. In fact, we're doing just the opposite. And the idea actually comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, where Peter says in verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And that word defense is the Greek word apologia, which is transliterated into English as apology or apologetic. And what it means simply is defending the Bible or the basic tenets of the faith or any particular doctrine. It's a defense. And so as we think through this, we realize that there are reasons that we believe that the Bible is true, that God exists, that we can trust what the Word of God says about both the past, present, and the future. One of the most important reasons for believing that the Bible is true is Israel's longevity. While every other ancient nation in world history has come and gone, 
Israel is now back front and center on the world stage. This is key. That's exactly right. You know, Israel was a sovereign nation with a single king from about 1050 B.C. for just over 100 years. And then the kingdom divided into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Then Israel was conquered by the Assyrians in 722, and Judah was completely conquered by the Babylonians after a 20-year siege with the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 586 B.C. And then after the return from the Babylonian captivity, they were ruled by the Greeks and then by the Romans, they were in power at the time of Christ. And then Jerusalem and the Second Temple were destroyed by the Romans in 70 A.D. So Israel did not exist as a sovereign nation for around 2,500 years until 1948. And no other nation in history has made this kind of comeback. And we talk about the longevity. This has to do with God preserving the Jewish people even when they were scattered across the face of the earth. So in God's sovereignty, he preserved them so that he could bring them back in fulfillment of the prophecies concerning the regathering that would happen in the last days as he began dealing with the nation again, and that will happen after the rapture of the church. David, I would think another reason to point to Israel as proof that the Word of God is true would be the influence of the Jewish people on world history, which is completely out of proportion to their numbers as compared to the world's population. That's exactly right. It's actually astounding. When you start digging into this a little bit, as I did some more research, getting into more of the details, and I knew some of this in general, but uh, just listen to this. Our, our listeners, I think, will be astounded. The worldwide Jewish population is approximately 15 million, not quite half of those being in Israel, and then the rest of them being scattered around the world, quite a large Jewish population in the United States. But out of a world population of about 7.5 billion, that only only represents two-tenths of one percent of the world population. Yet, as of 2017, for example, the Nobel Prizes have been awarded to 892 individuals, and 22.5 percent of those were Jewish. So they represent Jewish Nobel Prize winners. On average, they are over a hundred times more likely than the average person to receive a Nobel Prize. That is an astounding figure. And then, just to move to some other things, there are positive and negative things. Hollywood has positive and negative, but no one can deny the influence of Hollywood around the world. And Hollywood, uh, the movie industry, was basically established by Jews. You look worldwide, they're in politics, they're political analysts, for example, like uh, Charles Krauthammer, who recently died, one of the most brilliant men who is a political analyst, doctors, lawyers, physicists. They've had tremendous uh, influence on the world, the entire world, that is completely and astoundingly out of proportion to their number, their the actual number of Jewish people who have lived. And if you think about six million of them dying in the Holocaust, it, it's even more astounding. And we see, you just cannot deny the hand of God in this. That is absolutely true. God's hand on the Jewish people, very evident in the Word of God, but in this world as well. I would also think that the very geographic location of Israel, including the location of the Temple Mount, is also significant, both as it relates to the creation, but as well as the birth of the nation of Israel. That's also true. One of the things that we find, if you go to Ezekiel 28, and it's referring, it's an oracle 
against the king of Tyre, but there are things that are directed to the king of Tyre that cannot be true of just a human, and we understand that this is actually God addressing the power behind the power, I would say, Satan. And this is what we read concerning this oracle that I would say is against Satan. You were in Eden, the garden of God, that's Ezekiel 28, 13, and then in verse 14 he says, you were the anointed cherub who covers, I established you, you were on the holy mountain of God. So I would think that this is clear biblical evidence that Eden was not in Mesopotamia, but actually was in what we now have as uh, Israel, and the holy mountain of God is Mount Moriah, where later Abraham was going to sacrifice his son, Isaac, and it was through the preservation of Isaac that God raised up the nation of Israel through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so this is a key location. The Temple Mount is the center of everything. David, if the Word of God can be trusted concerning what it says about Israel's past, then would it not also be correct to say that this also lays the foundation for an apologetic concerning things that are still future? That's actually one of the most important principles in the Word of God. What you find is that many of the prophets, in fact, almost all of the prophets in the Old Testament, and then looking to the New Testament with the apostles, they constantly referred to what God did in the past as a confirmation that he could be trusted to for what he said he would do in the future. The rehearsing of Israel's past is one of the most uh, important apologetics or ways that we defend the faith. And then as we look to the future, if God did fulfill all of the prophecies literally in the past, then we have every reason to believe that they will be fulfilled literally in the future. And so God will begin dealing with Israel again shortly after the rapture of the Church. Many Jewish people will come to faith in Christ. 144,000 male virgin Jews will be sealed, and they will be evangelists. And then Israel will regain its place in God's program in the millennial kingdom, and he will fulfill all of his promises that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and through all the prophets. And that is basically the foundation for our ministry prophecy today. David, excellent job of bringing this to our attention. I thought it would be good to show the Jewish state, the Jewish people, and in particular, you mentioned several times the city of Jerusalem in that apologetic approach. Appreciate the research, buddy. You did a great job. We'll do it again next week. Thanks so much, Jimmy. Always great to be with you. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'm going to put it all together, everything our broadcast partners had to say, and we'll take a look at the book to see how it all fits into God's plan for the future. That's all ahead, right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. 
I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Once again, Prophecy Today presents the School of Prophets Conference, December 10th through the 13th at the Spring Hill Suites Hotel, along the shores of the beautiful Tennessee River in downtown Chattanooga, Tennessee. Join Dr. Jimmy DeYoung as he personally walks you through the Bible and helps you discover important prophetic passages from every book of the Old Testament. Dr. DeYoung will also look at the prophetic passages in the New Testament from the book of Acts right through the book of Jude. Dave James will present graphics and PowerPoint design with a special emphasis on teaching aids for pastors and Bible teachers. This course is great for pastors, teachers, secretaries, and IT professionals as you learn basic principles of graphic design focusing on composition, color, typography, and imaging. These meetings are more intimate because they're smaller in nature. There will be time for Q&A with the teachers and fellowship with participants. For more information, call 423-821-3635. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. Today on Prophecy Today weekend, our broadcast partners came to this broadcast table with excellent reports. We need these reports for insight into current events as foretold in Bible prophecy as these events are setting the stage for that prophetic scenario to be fulfilled. By the way, if you missed any of these reports, you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and there you can listen to all the reports. And let me just suggest that you send that link to these broadcast reports, and your friends will enjoy them so much and be informed. They need to understand what you do as it relates to the end times. Just a quick reminder, Ken, he was in southern France, told us about the trilateral meeting taking place in Tehran, Iran, between Russia, Iran, and Turkey, and discussing the fate of Syria. David Dolan with a Middle East news update, talking about President Trump wanting peace for the Jewish New Year, 5779, but that prospect does not look good. Winky Madad talked to us about the birth of a red heifer earlier this week, Rosh Hashanah, the new year, the beginning of the new year for the Jewish people at the same time of Feast of Trumpets and the celebration of the creation 5,779 years ago. And we did discuss the confederation aspect of the peace process that President Trump is offering to those in the Middle East. John Rood had our European Union update. He says that there may well be a new referendum on Brexit. They may reverse the idea of the United Kingdom pulling out of the European Union. 
And Steve Herzig, he's the National Director of Friends of Israel. We got in-depth on the Jewish Holy Days, Rosh Hashanah, what that comes from, Feast of Trumpets, and what is a purpose of the Feast of Trumpets, having all the Jewish people request forgiveness for their sins as they approach Yom Kippur. Next week, we'll have Steve back at this broadcast table to discuss Yom Kippur and the Feast of Tabernacles. And then David James and I had our conversation. I suggested to David earlier this week, we use Israel and the Jewish people and the city of Jerusalem as an apologetic. Well, that's not trying to apologize for something they've done, but instead using Israel, Jerusalem, and the Jewish people as proofs of the Word of God. If you did not hear the conversation with David, you need to go listen to it, or maybe you'd like to listen to it again. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and be sure to tell a friend about that service. However, what I would like to focus on on the rest of this time here on a look at the book would be the feast, the feast and in particular the fall feast, trumpets, Yom Kippur, and Feast of Tabernacles. Now these feasts along with the four in the spring have been celebrated annually for the last 3,500 years. The Lord told the Jewish people under the leadership of Moses, once you come into the land that I have promised you, I want you to go through the seven feasts and the annual cycle of these feasts. And now for 3,500 years, that's exactly what the Jewish people have been doing. There are four feasts in the spring. That would be Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, and Pentecost. And then there are three other feasts in the fall, Trumpets, Yom Kippur, and Tabernacles. When you go back and look at the evidence, especially in Matthew chapter 27, you'll see that Jesus fulfilled the spring feast. He was crucified on Passover buried on unleavened bread, and resurrected on first fruits. And in Acts chapter 2, we see the record of the Holy Spirit coming to establish the church on the Feast of Pentecost. Now, to be consistent in your interpretation of the Word of God, to have a proper consistent hermeneutic, that's the science of interpreting Scripture, you must have that happen again for the fall feast. You'll notice that Jesus crucified on Passover, buried on unleavened bread, resurrected on first fruits. Those were in the proper day sequences, the exact time that the Jewish calendar called for these feasts to take place. That must be what happens with the fall feast as well. He, Jesus Christ, as the true Messiah, must fulfill the fall feast. The first one in the fall, trumpets, it happens starting on Sunday. That is the time for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not talking about the rapture. I'm talking about the time when Jesus Christ returns to the earth to set up his kingdom. And so he comes back, if you notice Matthew chapter 24 and verse 31, Jesus says to the angel, blow a trumpet and call a solemn assembly. On Yom Kippur, which is 10 days later after the Feast of Trumpets, Jesus Christ will walk into the temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Hebrews chapter 9 says once at the end of time, Jesus will go into the temple on Yom Kippur. 
And of course, on the Feast of Tabernacles, that's the time the kingdom is set up. Remember in chapter 17 of Matthew, Peter said to Jesus and Moses and Elijah, I'm going to put up three tabernacles. That's how they traveled in the wilderness. That was their thatched hut. And that's the celebration of what happened during the wilderness and the protection by the Lord himself. But that happens on tabernacles. And that's when the kingdom is set in place for a thousand-year period of time. And remember, the kingdom is simply the front porch for all that is going to happen into eternity future. Down through history, God has kept the Jewish people annually observing these Jewish feasts to remind not only them, but all the world as well, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of every prophetic aspect of the seven Jewish feast. Now, the next event to happen prophetically, though, is not the fulfillment of a feast, but the rapture of the church. When Jesus shouts, archangel shouts, trumpet God sounds, and we're caught up to be with him in the air. There's no prophecy that has to be fulfilled before the rapture of the church. In fact, that rapture could happen at any moment. And having said that, nothing left for me to say except let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.